How about a little less arguing and a lot more talking? You've tuned to the right place. The John and Kathy Show continues on 101.5 WORD. John Kistler is back with us. John is a writer specializing in animal subjects with five published books about animal welfare and animal rights topics. John spent a month in Thailand with elephants and consulting with the Oliver Stone film Alexander, designing the elephant armor. His new book is called God's Animals, being looked at by publishers now. John, always a pleasure. Welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be back. All right. So you have talked to us before, John, about the biblical uh, command that humans would have dominion, right? And we've talked about ways that that is corrupted, but how is it right? I mean, what's the kind of proper dominion that humans were given by God? What's our agency? How are we supposed to act in the world? Well, we need to recognize that dominion is as much or more responsibility as it is uh, taking advantage of their usefulness. In other words, God has given us animals to use, but not just to use. They're not just ours. They also belong to him. So as stewards, we are supposed to be using them well and properly and kindly. We have responsibilities to the creatures we use. And God's law sets that up, particularly in the Mosaic law. And the principles that I find are that God requires us to give animals shelter, which is protection, proper food and water, which is for their health, and um, rest, which is a Sabbath and or time for enjoyment. And without those three principles of proper responsibility toward the animals, we are wrongly exploiting them. Okay, what are the three again? Food and water. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rest. Yes. And protection or shelter. protection or shelter. Okay. All right. So where in the scriptures do you find those mandates from God to the people? Well, we see them in many examples of godly people, but we also find them in the Mosaic Law, where uh, the Sabbath day, for instance, is supposed to be given to the humans and their cattle, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is kind of remarkable. They're supposed to get a Sabbath, too. So a lot of that is in the Mosaic Law, and some of it's in Jewish tradition as well. But those seem like pretty obvious parts of responsibility that if God has given you a living creature to use, that you would properly care for it. There's also the uh, ox treading out the grain. You're not supposed Mm -hmm. to muzzle the ox. And you have verses like in Proverbs 12.10, the righteous man regards the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Mm -hmm. So we have, and then we have Balaam's donkey. You know, there's a number of uh, places in the Bible we've talked about in the past that show proper dominion. So today, though, I want to talk about specifically uh, modern issues. Uh, animals in entertainment, hmm. because they've become something of a spark plug in the last few weeks. Yes, they have. I went last night to see the movie A Dog's Purpose. Oh. And that came under big fire from the animal rights group. So I want to talk about animals in entertainment particularly. Um, entertainment is just sort of an organized way of enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. And we can use animals for entertainment, and they can be entertained also. I don't know if you've actually seen these. I love these. They have screensavers for cats. It's like your TV turns into a fishbowl, and the the cats will just stare at it all day watching the fish (laughs) go around. I have to get that. (laughs) It's interesting that God created humans and animals with both the capacity and the desire to play, Mm -hmm. to enjoy themselves. So life is not supposed to be all uh, nasty and cruel in blood and claw, as, as Darwin said. Yes. There's also supposed to be joy. The reason uh, I want to talk about animals in entertainment today is because of that movie, but also because I want to show you how extreme animal rights groups 
can take things too far, and yet they can also occasionally be right. Okay. So the, the, the movie that you saw was called what, John? A Dog's Purpose. And I, I've seen the trailers for this, right? This is where a dog essentially is, for lack of a better word, reincarnated. Yes, keeps get, getting reborn. Every time it dies, it's reborn as a new puppy and has a new family. Okay, and I think it's rated G or PG. Yeah, it's probably PG. It, it is a tearjerker. Okay. It ends, it's sort of a comedy tearjerker. So in the middle, every time the dog dies, you get a little sad. Yeah. But in the end, everything's happy. So there were a lot of kids there. Oh, good. So somehow animal rights advocate has raised a red flag about this. The dog is being tortured in some way? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more after the first commercial, this specific case. But okay. what I want to show you is the reason animal rights is wrong in its very basic principle is that true animal rightists believe that animals and humans should not be in contact with each other. They have taken this sort of simplistic liberal idea that's very similar to gun control. You know, uh, in general, liberals like the idea, we can stop gun crime by banning guns. And you can see how well that's working in Chicago and Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Banning guns doesn't seem to work the way they want it to. That's exactly the way the animal rights people have been looking at animals and humans in relationship. The true animal rightists, like PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, do not believe in pets because pets are just human slaves. They are creatures we have enslaved in our homes. Is that right? And they won't even call them pets because it's too patriarchal. We have to call them animal companions. So at least they're very consistent. Their view is that in order to save animals from cruelty, we have to ban animals. Hmm. Mm. We should live here and we should send all the animals to Africa and never the two shall meet unless we have hidden cameras. Really? So the people from PETA, none of the people who are part of the organization proper don't have a cat, a dog, a fish. Well, no, what they will do is they will make an exception for shelter animals. Let's give them a good life while they're alive, but we will not allow them to breed and we're not going to give them to anyone else. So this is the, they want this to be the last generation of pets. We'll take care of whatever animals are alive, but once they're gone, they're gone because they consider pets to be mutants. We have domesticated them and taken away their ability to be wild. Therefore, they're monsters. That is extreme. It's like Fran Frankenstein monsters, these pets wow. to them. So we'll, we'll talk more about the specific movie uh, if you want to do a commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to do that introduction. Yeah, okay. okay. So we'll go to a break in just a sec. But before we do that, um, the separation between human and animal that you're saying PETA is recommending, or that's basically their worldview, it, 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 it breaks a relationship that God set up. Right. It is totally unbiblical because it's the opposite of dominion. They deny that dominion should exist or ever has existed. You know, most of PETA probably aren't Christians, but there are some Christian animal rightists who just believe that dominion was lost. They'll say that when Adam and Eve sinned, we lost, God only gave us dominion because we were good. Yes. Once we went bad, we no longer should have dominion. That's a point that's non-biblical, but it's one that they hold. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll take a break. We're talking about proper dominion and animal rights extremism with John Kistler. Over six years ago, a little South Hills... O-R-D. Hey, welcome back. John Kistler is with us. We're talking about animals. Our first uh, segment, we talked about uh, proper dominion and animal rights. And now, John, you're going to bring us to the silver screen and animals. Yeah, I want to talk about animals in entertainment, particularly movies. And I know you're interested in movies. I am, yes. Um, you may know that the very first actor who demanded changes to stop animal cruelty, do you know who that was? No, I don't. Errol Flynn in 1936. Really? He starred in a movie called The Charge of the Light Brigade. 
and while he was there on the set, he witnessed at least a hundred horses die. <gasps> oh my goodness! Because for the battle scene, you know the cannons are going off. Yes. They want the horses to fall down and look dead. They strung a. Uh, pardon me. I hit the. They strung a, invisible oh. cables across the the fields so the horses would run into them and trip and fall. And a lot of them broke their necks, broke their legs, and had to be shot. Oh, horrible. oh, that's wretched. So he uh, asked the Humane Society to start inspecting films and stop this sort of thing really and it's interesting the early reaction was some companies agreed to do it but some companies just decided well we'll film overseas where they don't have any rules like this <laughs> so ben-hur for example the famous 1959 charlton heston yes. movie 100 horses died in the chariot race wow it took them three weeks to film it and every day they brought in 1500 people to watch and a couple hundred horses and They'd be carrying them off the field dead all day long. It was a slaughter. Holy! So when you see at the end of a film, no animals were harmed in the making of this motion picture. That's a very good thing. That started. That came about in about 1980. There was a nasty movie called Heaven's Gate. I know it. Michael Cimino. Exactly. Cimino. Well, he was so much against any interference with his artistic freedom, he actually stationed armed guards with shotguns to keep any inspectors offset because they live on camera killed cows, horses, and chickens. So that there was an outcry about this horrible movie, and the people demanded change. So the American Humane Association got the Screen Actors Guild, SAG, to agree contractually that all movies must allow inspectors on site to stop this sort of thing from happening really? again. So there has been some improvement. However, if you look at my Facebook page, which is God's Animals Living Abundantly, mm -hmm. I posted an article by Hollywood Reporter. The American Humane Association gets a lot of its money from the movies. They get $80 an hour for an inspector to be on site. I see. And so there's a little bit of corruption. You get paid to be there. You also get paid not to notice certain things. Oh, that's interesting. Or, so you can double up. Or be off-site when something goes wrong. Huh. And by definition, they're not allowed to talk about any cruelty that's not during filming. So if between cuts, while the cameras are off, some somebody accidentally kills a horse, that doesn't go on the sheet. I see. So there's a lot of questions now as to whether it's effective or not. You're inside the bottle. Hmm. Exactly. So when I knew you were going to talk about this uh, this subject, I told you I was you know by email we went back and forth. I was watching a movie that was streaming on Netflix, uh, no, on, on Amazon Prime over the weekend. It's up for an Academy Award, so I'm trying to watch these Academy Award films. The film is called The Lobster. It is truly one of the most bizarre films, although there are moments of extreme comedy and great horror. But the opening of the film. Even before the credits roll, a woman is driving in a car. She parks the car. Then you see her brandishing a firearm, a pistol. She gets out of her car, walks four steps, and shoots a burrow in the head. The burrow falls down. Another burrow walks over to where the burrow has been killed and stands there. They cut and move on to the next scene. <laughs> it was the most bizarre moment in film i've ever seen an, an opening of a movie did that have a purpose well and so when i'm thinking about the movie you know far in hindsight when i think about that opening scene i get what the point was and it sets up the entire point of the movie but in hindsight i mean it's just a very strange movie well there is a new or i should say growing art form i forget the exact name it's not animal porn but it's something like horror porn or violence porn were they Torture animals? Yeah. Oh, good gravy. And um, actually... Horrible. People take pleasure in this, you're telling me? Believe it or not, one of the growing forms of pornography is watching women in high heels stomp on small animals' heads to kill them. What? It's called crush videos. 
and we passed a law against crush videos, and then the Supreme Court struck it down, what? saying it was unconstitutional because it violates free speech. I mean, the thought of that. Oh, God. It the, just, it, it, again, it makes me think how corrupted God's original design was that humans should have dominion over the earth. It's tragic. Right. It is absolutely true that our dominion has been horribly disfigured by sin. I have no denying of that. But I do deny that dominion needs to be cast out. What needs to happen is dominion has to be properly defined and properly practiced. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Now, the recent case that got me angry and that I want to talk about now is from the movie A Dog's Purpose. The uh, PETA group, which is an extreme animal rights group, came out with a video two weeks ago. You may have seen it online. It's, uh, it's gone viral of a scene from A Dog's Purpose, or I should say a shoot. They spent eight days shooting with a German Shepherd, jumping into rushing water. And in the movie, that's because the police dog, German Shepherd, jumps in to save a drowning girl. So they worked on this for a long time. Well, on the eighth day, the director left early for some reason, and one of the camera guys thought, let's do this scene from the other side of the pool. Now, they had divers under the water, so if the dog went under, they could bring him up. They had been practicing this. The dog was not afraid of the water, but what the video shows is the trainer forcing the dog in. The reason is, is because the dog had never jumped in from that side. I see. So it's not that the dog was afraid of the water. He shouldn't have pushed it in. The director said this was wrong. The actors all said this was wrong. The Humane Society guy was there, didn't say anything. But then here's where PETA became liars. They took this and corrupted it. First of all, this occurred two years ago. If there was a problem on the set, they should have brought it up right away mm -hmm. to save the dog. But no, they waited until the day before the premiere of the movie. To sully it. To get propaganda, because that's how they make money. And also they added in, this is where the lie comes in, they added in an earlier scene where the dog went under the water to make it look like the guy threw the dog in and then it was drowning. They didn't show the diver bring the dog out. That was from an earlier day. So they, str they strung mm -hmm. clips together to make it look like the movie company was torturing animals on the set mm. and they demanded a boycott of the movie this is an almost an animal rights movie the director's an animal rights person the actors are all animal rights people so they just went after this for money that's mm. all it was and that makes me mad because i hate cruelty but i also hate deception mm -hmm. and this is what i call a cry wolf situation i never believe anything an animal rights organization says because they almost always lie but occasionally they're telling the truth but you just say well why it's would PETA. I think they called right. called it the truth this time? You know? So at the core, these animal rights groups, as extreme as they are, they do have, I hate to say, their heart in the right place because they love animals. Correct, they do. But they also are, their interest is to make money for the organization to keep it going. And novelty is the way you get new money in. I mean, in my opinion, if you had spent that much energy that they spent against this movie trying to boycott it, if they spent that, we have millions of animals dying a day that we eat in tortuous cat conditions in factory farms, but they're busy talking about some guy throwing the dog in the water. Because that's going to make more people angry, and so they're going to get more donations to their organization that way. Correct. That's why you cannot trust some of these groups. Take a break. John Kistler's with us. We're talking about animal rights, proper dominion. Stick around. 
101.5. W-O-R-D. John Kistler is with us. John's a writer specializing in animal subjects with five published books about animal welfare and animal rights topics. He joins us on a regular basis. You can find more about John on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. We've been talking about films and the ways that animals are not just portrayed in film, but the way they are treated in the making of film. So um, we know that the years I was growing up, uh, SeaWorld was a was a gigantic destination. Oh, right? yeah. It was, you know, Aurora, Ohio. Right, what? exactly. I visited that one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot's happened since then. So tell us the story. Well, I grew up loving marine parks. I grew up in Los Angeles. We used to go to two of them. There was a SeaWorld in San Diego, which is still there, and also a marine land. Mm-hmm. It only lasted a few years. Um, happily, that whale, Corky, is still alive. It's the oldest killer whale in captivity. It's wow. like 40 or 50 now. So um, I'm glad of that. But... The reason I want to talk about killer whales is because this is another form of animal entertainment. It's different than zoos because zoos have educational and conservation components to them. SeaWorld and theme parks so much don't. I mean, there's a small bit of research and a small bit of learning they do, but it's mostly make money. Mm -hmm. And the killer whale shows are, of course, the most popular and the biggest draw for SeaWorld. This became a big problem in 2009 when one of their trainers was drowned intentionally by a killer whale and even bleeding in the pool in front of a giant crowd. And this was not the first time this had happened. But the SeaWorld's reaction was to blame it on her. Well, it was her ponytail. The, the whale saw her ponytail and the liked trainer. it and, and drug her in to get the ponytail. I see. This uh, movie that I brought in here, this DVD called Blackfish, was, came out about two or three years ago. And it really marked the end of SeaWorld and its orca uh, displays, shows. They have now completely come to a close. What the video did, believe it or not, I did not trust the video when I first saw it because any time, like I said, animal rights people say something, there's a good chance that it was exaggerated Mm -hmm. or manipulated. But I was impressed by the video, and so I went and read several books by former trainers and former employees from SeaWorld. And the most convincing one was by a guy named Hargrove who trained their killer whales for 15 years. And basically what he said, and I have to agree with him, is that the basic problem is there's not enough room in a tank for a killer whale. Mm. Killer whales are average 24 feet, some as many as 34 feet long. And they're kept in small pens all day, except when they go out to train and do their shows, then they go in the big pool. They don't get to live in the big pool. They live in little pens. And what I didn't know, things about killer whales, killer whales only sleep for 30 to 90 minutes a day. Wow. Really? It's the exact opposite of my cats, (laughs) who are only awake for 30. So they're awake 22 hours a day, and the shows only go on for, what, eight hours a day. They spend 10 hours alone and bored. They're not kept together. They're kept separately. You can imagine living in a white room without windows and no furniture. What would you do? You'd just go crazy. And what Hargrove said, and I believe he's right, is that killer whales become psychotic within a couple of years of living in these conditions. It's not that they're starving. It's just that they're bored out of their skulls. And so if you put them in with other whales, they tend to attack each other. And if you put them in with humans, if they get the chance, they may just kill you. So this documentary showed that. A number of books have showed that. Stars started canceling their musical appearances at SeaWorld. Actors refused to go. People started boycotting it. Too little, too late. SeaWorld said, okay, we're going to double the size of the, uh, the, the whale tanks. tanks. That it was too late. They had already 
gone down. I see. So essentially, is SeaWorld, you said, gone? Because you said there's one in San Diego. Well, SeaWorld will continue to operate, but they will no longer have entertainment orca shows. What they're going to have is what they call educational orca shows, meaning instead of jumping out of the water and people riding on their backs, they'll have a much bigger tank with windows, and people can just watch them swimming around. I see. So it won't be as uh, the spectacle that it Mm -hmm. used to be. So they will still live there. The reason they're still going to live there is you can't just let them free. None of the whales in the current system were captured in the wild. They wouldn't know what to do if you put them in the ocean. All these whales were bred in captivity. Yes, because the early times in SeaWorld's early history in the 60s and 70s, they would capture live baby whales by killing the parents, throwing dynamite in, and then taking the babies. <laughs> it is was that such- right? That's what they did? That's how they drove the whales into into the nets, was using dynamite or, or large explosive devices to try to separate the babies from the females. There was such a public outcry against that, we passed the law, the Marine Mammals Protection Act, saying you can't do that anymore. Once they couldn't do that anymore, they took all of their females and all their males and put them together and had lots of little babies hmm. to keep the system going. I see. So you can't let the whales go. You remember the movie Free Willy? Oh, sure. That was a whale named Keiko. He, I can't remember if it was a he or a she, was captured in the wild. That whale was released partly because of the movie and the outcry. Mm-hmm. Well, he was dead within a year. He went home to Norway and caught a disease that I guess he wasn't ready for and died. Mm. So just releasing the whales won't work. Right. I mean, so it's interesting. Whales in many ways, when, when you think about um, cultures, the Japanese or Nordics, I mean, the, the hunting uh, uh, of whales, and of course in America it happened for a long time, whale blubber and whale oil, it was a major profit margin for, for society. Well, I should have mentioned, I forgot to mention before, that killer whales are not whales. They are mm, dolphins. They're dolphins. Yeah. They're giant dolphins. We just call them whales because they're so big. Mm. They're by far the largest porpoise or dolphin species. So killer whales is actually a misnomer. We just call them that. They're actually orcas. I see. Mm. So what do we take away from this, John? Dominion is complicated. It's not – people these days love to have simple answers. You either believe this or you believe that, right. either or, black or white. There's a lot of gray areas in all of these. In this case, the animal rights people were right. SeaWorld was a bad place for orcas, and I didn't believe them at first. Now I do. So even a broken clock is right twice a day is one of the things I like to say. But what what you learn is is that you have to use your brain. God gave us brains to be used to figure things out. We have to take all of this, the different arguments and compress them and see what is right. Mm-hmm. And it's usually not a simple answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, we shouldn't have kept them in captivity, but no, we can't just let them go. The simple answer is just let them go. They're going to die. That's not right. right. So everything, all of these issues are more comp- – on the news, on the media, all you hear is one simple answer on the one side, one simple answer on the other side. It's usually neither. There's a lot of nuance going on there. Yeah. John, um, as a, sort of a sidebar, you brought some movies along that uh, you would consider animal films that, that you like that you've watched and can recommend. Oh, well, actually, I didn't bring animal films. I just brought in all my favorite movies because I heard you guys talking about movies. Oh, let's take a break and come back and talk about that. All right. Very nice. John Kistler's with us. Animals and movies. That's a good combination. It's long. Over a thousand chapters. O-U-O-R-D. Hey, thanks for being with us. John Kistler's been with us the entirety of this hour. Hey, John, just as a sidebar, people find interest, obviously, in what you have to say. So you want to drive people to your Facebook page and your web page. Please take the time. Sure. My regular webpage, which is the more serious place where I have blogs and serious articles, 
That's www.godsanimals.net. So okay. that's plural for gods. Or, well, not plural. It's possessive. And mm-hmm. animals.net, not .com. That's my serious site. But my Facebook site is much friendlier and happier. Uh, God's Animals Living Abundantly. I just post videos on from YouTube and other places of cute animals and happy animals. Occasionally I'll put in something that's serious. When I saw the uh, Neutrogena uh, rabbit. That's the serious one yeah, I did, yeah. but very rarely do I do that. Okay. I want people to enjoy it more than... Uh, but those are petitions where I've asked people if they want to join Please. in. To God's help. Animals Living Abundantly on Facebook. Right. right? God's so animals that's how you can find my Facebook good. page. Okay. Hey, so good. Uh, you brought some movies to share. Now, you know the Kath and I, we tend to talk about movies and we're, we're movie-centric. Hey, well, here's the thing. John is movie-centric, and I'm just lagging behind. <laughs> that's okay. So I just like to kind of grab onto your cocktail. Well, you do TV. All the thing. I do, I I do, do TV. Movies. Okay, so you guys can talk about well, movies. Well, she talked me into watching The, uh, the Queen. The Crown. The Crown. And, yes. and, and I love it. I've only seen the first six but they're great aren't yeah. they great yeah i very rarely watch tv but netflix i'll go look that's for a really good one nice okay mm-hmm. so talk about some of the films you've got here john oh well i couldn't narrow it down to 10 i don't just want to read them to you but of course jaws is in here of course oh, okay. I, I love jaws a movie i've never seen oh oh my <laughs> shocking truly shocking you've never seen jaws no i, I never did like see this jaws. one yeah. that's a romantic musical from yeah. india bollywood are you oh, familiar? Yeah. I like Bollywood. I do, have not this seen it. This is called Lagan. Lagan. I think once it's a great movie. Once upon a time it. in India. Yeah. Okay. So if you like romantic comedies and musicals, that's what that is. Really? Um, is this subtitles? is my favorite comedy. Yes, but I think it's also done in English, too, okay. if I remember. Lagan. This is my favorite comedy, Cold Comfort Farm, which is a British yes. comedy. Do you know this, John? It's extremely funny. Is it really? I'd be happy to watch it again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Okay. The, uh, the sermon... He he gives a sermon. Ian McKellen pretends yeah. he's a preacher. He preaches to the shaking brethren, the church of the, the quaking brethren. Church of the quaking he gives a hellfire su- sermon. There is no butter in hell. <laughs> Cold comfort farm. Yeah, so, Very funny. As, okay, I like that. As far as uh, inspirational, Amazing Grace. This is the story of William Wilberforce. Oh, this is a great film. Yeah, it is. I, I've actually seen this. I want you to know. Kudos it's to a you, rare Kat. moment. I need to stand up and shout. He's my hero. My favorite Bible movie is Jesus of Nazareth. I know it. Oh, how? It's a classic. This is uh, Franco Zeffirelli. Yes, it is. Right? Yeah. That's oh, my the, Is that sort of like the floating, mysterious yes. Jesus? This is the Jesus. This is the long-suffering Jesus mm-hmm. looking off into the distance yeah. Jesus. Right. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. What year is that? Film. What do you oh, think? It was uh, early 70s, 80s, late 70s. Early 80s. Okay, yeah, yeah, I watched it on TV when it first came out. All right. Can I see that when you're done with that box? Okay. Yeah, it's absolutely I want to see the image of Jesus. Uh, a yeah. foreign film. My favorite film is Hero. Yes. So, very good. I tell know me about Hero. Martial arts movie, but very artistic. Excellent. Beautifully done. It got Best Cinematography and a number of other Never heard of awards. it. Okay, Hero. All right. Um, science fiction. I love science fiction. Me too. I've got to go with The Wrath of Khan. Star oh, Trek. The Wrath of Khan. Have you seen Arrival? Khan. Oh, yes. That was an excellent movie. That sure too. was an excellent Very movie. Very interesting, yeah. yes. Now, Arrival is nominated for Best Picture this year. It is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Did go you see that. Did you believe it was of that ilk, rising to that level? No. I liked it a lot, yeah. and it was original, but I wouldn't call it one of the greatest movies ever. Never. I, w- I would put Interstellar before that. That's one of my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love Interstellar. Movies. Okay, Interstellar. How about What's, Gravity? Did you like Gravity? Gravity was excellent. Yeah, yes. that's it, Sandra too. Bullock. Yeah. Okay, tell me about Interstellar. What's this about? Uh, Earth's going to die, and we have to find a planet to live on in another galaxy before we all die. Okay. Yeah, highly recommend Very heavy. Okay. Uh, Sunshine is one of my favorite science fiction movies. Very few people have heard of it. I don't know it, John. Uh, it's about the sun is it is going dead, and we send a mission to try to react it with a nuclear 
weapons to re-get the sun going. Okay, It's cool. sort of a suicide mission. Falling so. into the sun. Really? No, sunshine. sunshine. My called. favorite movie of all time, though, is Cleopatra. Favorite movie of all time? Yep, Rex Richard- Harrison and Elizabeth... Taylor, Taylor right? Richard Burton. Oh, my goodness gracious. Wow, let me see that. Hard okay, believe, no, I, but... I won't shock you that I've never seen this either. Oh, my. I'm surprised <laughs> by that. I thought you would have seen an Elizabeth Taylor film. I, I have seen a, an Elizabeth Taylor film, but not this one. Not this one. No. Okay. Well, here's the classic Casablanca. Everybody's got to have oh, a wow. You've got to see that. What a Some wonderful, Turner Classics an awful lot. What a wonderful lot. film. Yeah. And Excalibur. Beautifully done. Yes, it fantasy is. Fantasy movie. That's uh, good. King Arthur. King Arthur. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Knights of the Round Table. And, of course, Young Frankenstein, which oh, we my quote all the time. Right, we saw a clip from Great that on comedy. our Facebook page. Very, a couple very weeks good. Ago, funny, right? funny, funny, funny film. And here's an unusual movie, Stranger Than Fiction. It's sort of a dark comedy, but it's brilliantly done. And it's not your normal Will Ferrell comedy. Really? No. Stranger Than Fiction very with Will unusual. Ferrell. What year is that? Oh, I don't know, actually, when it was made. I just know it was a great movie. Okay. It was Maggie Gyllenhaal. She's one oh, of my yeah, favorites. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course she is. Mm-hmm. And Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman. What? Wow. That's How'd quite the that? cast. Yeah, they have a great okay. cast. What the heck? Stranger than fiction. He's not crazy. He's so just written that way. Basic, and The Fifth Element. That's basically Oh, that's a good film, my, too. Yeah. Another okay. science fiction, sort of a comedy science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce not, Willis. Not familiar with that either. Yeah. Yeah. So these yes, are the movies I watch over and over again when I'm just in the mood for entertainment. Yes. Okay. Some are heavier than others, but you're free to borrow any of them that Thank you like. Thank you, John. Very, very nice. All right. Up. What about you, John? If you're looking for, if you had your stack of films here, like John Kistler has. Yeah. What would the movies be in your set? <laughs> It'd be an eclectic mix. Would it be? Yeah, I would say so. Any of these in there? Uh, quite honestly, no, John. Ooh. There there aren't. No. Huh. You know, we were with a family the other day. Of, um, I get to see my brother just a couple of times a year. And he always, every time I see him, he always brings this up. It, you, know, you know how, remember the old days of the video store, right? Mm-hmm. The blockbuster. You'd, you'd walk up and down the aisle and right. stuff. So I'd go see my brother in the summertime. We'd hang out and always be, let's go get some movies. <laughs> and um, this one time, I, you know, he said, I, I, "My brother's taste in movies is kind of meh. He, you know, he kind of likes action adventure, the you know, cars flying through the air and lots of fires and stuff." Which I run contrary to, and I'm not, not I'm not degrading that. I, you know, I, I enjoy myself, you know, a good chase film once in a while. But uh, I, I made him watch <laughs> Paris, Texas, which is this deeply weird, very obscure film. Harry Dean Stanton. You know, Harry Dean Stanton. No. You don't know that name. <laughs> <laughs> it's set in a little town in Paris, Paris, Texas. It's slow moving. It's about a guy trying to find himself. My brother, it's long too. It's it's a little over three hours long. He hated that film so much. <laughs> Every time I see him, he brings that up to me and goes, oh, good. This is going to be another Paris, Texas. So now I have to be very careful. You know, off the top of my head... Um, Boy, that's a, that's a tough call. I guess I should have needed this uh, little note list. Mm-hmm. Um, How about this year? What was the best movie this year? You liked La La Land. I, I love La La Land, yeah. That. I mean, that was a fabulous film. Um, I think the film, the best one I've seen this year is Fences. Uh, just absolutely. Denzel Washington. Yeah, wonderful film. Please go see that film. If you've not seen Fences yet, uh, highly recommended. Uh, yeah, that's my film of the year. Uh, okay, if we're talking about best movies. Best movies? Okay, best movies. Um you're gonna say Lars and the Real Girl. I can't believe that didn't That's pop out of your mouth. That's one of my all-time favorite films. Sure, right? I mean, which is an, do you know that, John? No, I've never. You heard would of love that. that movie, and I believe it's stre- I know it's streaming because I just watched it with my son. You have Netflix, right? Yeah. Please go home tonight and watch Lars and the Real Girl. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling. This is when I first saw Ryan Gosling, you know, as an actor, and I was like, who the heck is this guy? And he's done so many cool things since then. <laughs> yeah, but look at look at. Um, 
I love this film because it shows the church as a beautiful thing, which is odd to see in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It shows it as a, a loving, kind, deeply engaged community of people who want to lift someone up who is not like them. Uh, it's a shocking film in many ways because of that. Lars and the Real Girl. Mm. Uh, one of my all-time favorite films is a film that, it, it, despite the title, it's not a Christian film. It's called Days of Heaven. And that's an old yep. film as well. I saw that. Uh, Terrence Malick. Mm-hmm. I made you watch that. Yeah, he, you did make me watch that. Um, it's just a beautiful film. The cinematography is unparalleled. And Terrence Malick was a guy who for many years kind of you know, made uh, one or two films and then disappeared. Lately, he's reestablished himself and in some ways kind of hurt his legacy because he's an odd filmmaker, someone you kind of have to hang in there with. He tends to make poetry and not films that have a um, an A to Z through line. But um, I still love that film. You're a connoisseur. You're not just a movie lover. I guess. I just know it's beautiful, and I like that. And I like a good story. Okay, when I think of beautiful and a good story, and like I said, I am no, I am no film critic or no film authority, but I think of Much Ado About Nothing, which is Kenneth oh, yeah. Branagh's version, mm-hmm. and I thought of it because of Kate Beckinsale. Oh, yeah. uh, that was the movie where oh, she yes. got her start, actually. That is... That movie has everything. Obviously, it's a story by Shakespeare, so you, it has the story. It has the acting, yep. but it is so lovely. It's the most it sure is. beautifully free, charming thing. I just watched uh, a little bit of Adam's Rib today. Spencer Tracy, oh. Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. Good films are so easy to find nowadays. It wasn't like in the old days where no, right. there was no streaming or you had to wait for a film festival to come to town. Seriously, you love good films, right. do a little research and find them right. in between Netflix and Amazon or I, I Turner heard, Classic. I heard the original Sabrina showing in town this week. Oh, is huh. it really? That's yeah, cool. Audrey Hepburn. Hey, uh, our, our time's up, isn't it? John, thanks an so awful lot. Always thanks a pleasure. So John Kistler, look for him on our Facebook page. Pittsburgh's Christian Talk with John Hall and Kathy Emmons, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.